everyone. Welcome to Radically Normal. This is Michael, and on today's episode, we will be talking with David Mathis, who's the executive editor of DesiringGod.org. He's the author of Habits of Grace and many other uh, books. He's a pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I learned, Pastor, on this, on your profile page that your favorite fiction book and favorite movie are both Lord of the Rings. Is that true? Um, it is true. Though at the time when I wrote that, I had not yet read Harry Potter. I, I'm not saying that Harry Potter has surpassed Lord of the Rings by any means, uh, but it was an easier competition back then. Wow, that's actually funny that I was going to bring it up because Harry Potter is my favorite fiction series. <laughs> and I am right now reading The Fellowship of the Ring for the first time. Oh, And nice. uh, I have to say it's a little bit slower pace, and I'm not sure it will ever measure up to Harry Potter for me personally. Um, but in addition to what I already said, do you want to introduce yourself further, perhaps? I, I get what you're saying. I, I just finished reading aloud all seven books to my 11-year-old boys. Awesome. We started right when the, the shutdown started happening in March of uh, 2020. We started reading them out loud. I've been, I'd been waiting to eventually read them with, with my boys. I have twin boys. And so it's like, well, we got this pandemic. We got some time on our hands. Now's the time. And so I read out loud more than a million words wow. <laughs> over the course of 18 months. And uh, you're right. My, as I've been, I have just started reading The Fellowship out loud, Fellowship of the Ring to the boys. I told them they could do Lord of the Rings after Harry Potter. And so I started reading The Fellowship. And they also say it's slower. This is not as interesting as Harry Potter. And I was like, well, we're going to stay with it. So uh, we're, we're staying with it. My take but, so, sorry to interrupt. My take so ahead. far is that the I've been, I enjoyed the Hobbit more than I've enjoyed the Fellowship of the Ring so far. Okay. Well, my my boys love the Hobbit from maybe age five or six. So okay. you know, he Tolkien wrote the Hobbit for kids. So like, I will read them the Hobbit when they're young, and then we'll have this delay and build up this anticipation for Lord of the Rings. But in the meantime, we did Harry Potter, and I hope I hadn't spoiled <laughs> it for them because it just it Harry Potter moves quicker, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's more conducive to the modern attention span. But enough of that. I'm originally from South Carolina. I uh, came to Minneapolis in 2003 with a ministry called Campus Outreach. And I uh, was at Bethlehem Baptist Church from 03 to 2015. Started working for Pastor Piper as his executive assistant back in 06. In 2015, uh, myself and another elder at Bethlehem and a seminary professor and seminary grad, the four of us and our families, planted Cities Church uh, here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. First in Minneapolis, and now we're on Summit Ave in in St. Paul, going on about a seven-year anniversary here. And uh, I'm a pastor at the church, but work happily full-time in my vocation at Desiring God as uh, a senior teacher at Desiring God and as the executive editor here. That's awesome. That's awesome. I have to say, personally, I've profited so much from stuff you've written and just from Desiring God as a whole. Pastor John's been super influential on me. And this is a question just to kind of get us started towards where we're talking today. Usually we ask every guest this at the end of our conversation, um, but today we'll ask it at the beginning because it leads into what we're going to talk about. But um, I have a coffee here with me. Uh, Are you a coffee drinker? Do you have a favorite type of coffee or anything like that? I am a coffee drinker. Uh, I'm not too particular about it. Um, so I, I think the coffee that I drank this morning, my wife bought the beans at Costco. Okay. I did grind them myself um, and uh, had that black coffee this morning. So I, I do enjoy coffee and have coffee on pretty much a daily basis. 
I get a headache if I don't have it. We can talk about that later on. Yeah. But I'm, I, I'm not a coffee connoisseur. I really can't taste the difference between decent coffee and great coffee. Okay. Well, awesome. And so uh, just for our listeners today, we're going to actually talk about two articles uh, that David wrote, one of which is called God Caffeinated the World. And it's about how we can drink caffeine or consume caffeine to the glory of God. And the other one that we may touch on a little bit is what is sweeter than honey, a little theology of sugar. And so uh, many people might find, and I'll link those in the show notes for listeners, but many people might find this a weird topic because they read the Bible and like, it's not like caffeine's jumping off the page at them and probably not sugar, sugar either. But you, I like how you introduced the article. You talk about how the effects of how we need to, as de- people who, that are image bearers who have dominion, we need to examine and discern what's proper for us to use and consume rightly in the world. So I guess my first question would be, how do the effects of coffee on us show that if we consume them properly and uh, we can do it to the glory of God, it's not just something to avoid? Well, first let me say, Michael, that uh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I come at this as a pastor. And so uh, as this issue uh, of caffeine intersects with the Christian faith, then I speak in my vocation, <laughs> but I am not a nutritionist. And, and maybe a very important point to make up front is I'm not telling anybody that they should or shouldn't consume caffeine. Right. But from a Christian standpoint, I want to say, what is our, what's the theology the Bible would give us by which we would ask questions about personal use related to caffeine. And so I, I, I don't mean this as prescriptive. Mm-hmm. I, that, that's part of the answer is you need to figure out uh, what is appropriate for you as you seek to glorify Christ. So I, I do want to ask Christian questions about caffeine. So yes, Genesis 1 and dominion and how we orient on the creation and how all humans should orient on the creation. And then particularly, I do want to ask about the glory of Christ and how might caffeine or not function in your life and to what amounts (laughs) uh, and to what ends uh, that Jesus would be glorified in your life. And so that theology does start off very basically, and if I can give you a particular verse, Genesis 129 Mm -hmm. is relevant to caffeine, where God says, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. That's where caffeine comes from. God put it into plants that he made, and not just one or a few, over a hundred species on four different continents have caffeine in them. And some have theorized that, oh, so this caffeine, that it's, it's mainly or exclusively a kind of natural insecticide. It protects the plant from being eaten by insects because the caffeine is deadly to insects, which is a good warning to us as humans not to consume too much caffeine, knowing that it's deadly to some life. Uh, However, I I don't know that the insecticide thesis uh, really works for all caffeine uh, as an explanation. There, There is a sense in which Uh, There's an inexplicable aspect to caffeine, or at least a sense that uh, the presence of caffeine in some species of plant seems to serve uh, humans having an interest in that plant, in that species, which which makes me want to ask the question of of God's intent for the caffeine. It's not there by accident. It doesn't mean that it's uh, necessarily 
good for us or wise to use in whatever quantity just because it's there. But God made caffeine and he didn't just limit it to a very small area, but it, it's kind of surprising how spread across the world it is in the number of species. And so God gave the plants for human use. And so throughout time as humans, that's part of uh, exercising dominion and being fruitful and multiplying is figuring out what God has put into the world and how we might use that in faithful ways. But then into that, I want to add another layer to say, all right, and in Christ, as Christians, we want to ask the question, uh, how do we glorify Christ mm -hmm. with our lives? How will our lives make him look good? And I do think that caffeine, as opposed to, say, marijuana, has some clearer functions for the Christian, because, because caffeine is universally testified as making us more alert, more engaged, more attentive. And that would be the sort of use of the creation that we as Christians would want to engage in rather than things that would dull the mind or make us less alert, less engaged, less alive in the ways that God made us to be alive in his world. That's really helpful, particularly about seeking to use the creation in a way that makes the mind more alive. Many of us begin our day by getting a cup of coffee and sitting down to read our Bibles. In your article, you talk about how we can use its mind-sharpening effects for deeper prayer and deeper meditation when we are tired. Can you talk a little bit more about how this might affect our spiritual disciplines? It's interesting that uh, there are various stories around the globe of caffeine's first first finding it and using it. Uh, there's a story from the Middle East, an Arabian, Arabian goat herder named Kaldi. And he noticed the effects on his flock, the legend goes. He noticed the effects on his flock when they would eat certain berries. And a monk came along and saw the energy of his flock and asked him about it. And he told them about, he said, oh, it's the berries, these berries give energy or whatever, which is not true. Caffeine doesn't give energy. We can talk about that later. Um, but it has the effect of providing alertness or the sense of energy. And the monk was excited because these berries helped him to pray longer and with more attention, which that, that's an interesting dynamic that, that that would be one of the stories of origin, you know, made up as it may very well be. And to think how caffeine might relate to uh, prayer and meditation for the Christian. And in Christ, we don't only pray. We don't only dial up and tell God what we want and ask him for what he wants. We first and foremost are listeners. We are creatures. And so first and foremost, that we would be as alert as we can be to God's word is a significant thing in the Christian life. And overuse of caffeine might make you fidgety and not maximally alert. Mm -hmm. And not getting sufficient sleep will not make you maximally alert. So very quick, we start talking about other things as well, like adequate sleep. We want to be the kind of people that regularly engage God's word with reasonably maximal alertness. <laughs> I want to know what the most important person in the universe has to say. I want to be alert when I open my Bible. I don't want to be groggy. And so to the degree that caffeine, along with adequate sleep and other things, might be a help a, a physical help in our engaging God's word and hopefully having the miracle, the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit in understanding God's word. Those two would go together in biblical meditation, leading into biblical prayer is, uh, I think, one of the first things 
I would want to, uh, one of the first questions I want to raise and ask people about the possibilities of. So personally, my, my experience is very similar to yours. Um, my habit in the morning is I want to hear God's voice first. Mm -hmm. So I roll out of bed and I'm on my way to the coffee pot and to my paper Bible. So that, right. most mornings is I got the, I got the paper Bible in one hand because there's not the distraction of the phone paper Bible in one hand and a, a cup of black coffee in the other. And, uh, I'm asking for God's help in that. I'm not presuming, Hey God, I'm just going to do this coffee thing. I'm going to come in my own strength. I'm coming with my own intellect. That's going to be enough here. I come in prayer. I say, God, would you help last night's sleep? Would you help the effects of the caffeine? Would you give me an alertness? Would you give me eyes in my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to see your word and to encounter you here in the biblical text as I seek to meditate and then pray? I love that. I love that. Sounds very similar to my morning. And so you kind of already touched on this a little bit. Um, we want to have, we want alert minds and maybe caffeine helps us do that. And we also want adequate, adequate sleep. So what would your take be pastorally, I guess, on how we can recognize maybe when caffeine becomes like a crutch where we're masking a lack of rest. So if somebody says, well, I stay up till two with caffeine, reading my Bible, then I'm up at five so I can pray again and I just have a bunch of more caffeine. And then they're getting three hours of sleep per night and they're not adequately resting. How would you talk about that interaction with a lack of sleep? Yeah, I, I do want to be, uh, I want to be real careful, especially as it relates to the, the life of the body and just the variance in people's their their own body and strengths and weaknesses and brains and patterns and upbringing, so I want to be very careful with uh, pontificating, and on presuming that what is the case for me is necessarily the case for them. Um, so, with what I find to be the kind of sleep that I need as a pattern over the years, I'm not going to presume that on others. So I I, I do want to as a pastor. I will want to lead with principle and lead by having them ask questions of themselves and not me presuming that it needs to be a certain way to say, brother, if you're, if you're not getting seven hours of sleep every night, you're in sin. Like for some, it's probably, it's going to be more than seven hours that they, their body really needs. And for others, they don't really need more than seven. So there, there is a sense. And just as we learn about the creation, you know, we ourselves, our bodies are part of that creation. And we learn about ourselves over the years. And, uh, there was a, for me, there was a point that came, oh, let's see. Um, oof, I think this was after the, after the birth of our third child. We have four. And uh, after Gloria was born in, I think it was 20, she was born at the end of 2014. This is beginning of 2015. I began to realize that uh, I was not owning my finitude like I should. I was not owning my creatureliness. And uh, I, had I had gained weight that I didn't need to have. I had lost a pattern of exercise that I once had. I don't know that I was getting adequate sleep. I think I was trying to do too much, trying to carry too many balls, especially re related to work and not just having clearer boundaries as to what I said yes to, what I said no to. And uh, I remember having a conversation with my wife as we're walking around the lake and uh, just talking about how uh, this and that, this 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 excuse and, and that excuse as to why I couldn't ever get uh, my exercise in, and I just, after, over a while I came to the realization that if I'm not doing the things that are basic, 
for me as a human and as a Christian, then I'm taking on some things I don't need to take on. I need to embrace my finitude, my humanity. I need to be, I need to have space in my life for an adequate amount of sleep on a regular basis. And there's going to be times where an infant is crying or somebody needs help. There's going to be unusual circumstances of burning the candle at both ends, but God didn't make us make us to do that indefinitely, mm. nor did he mean for us to sleep longer than necessary and, and be a sluggard and be, and be lazy. So finding that out in my life and then finding a pattern of exercise was important in this regard. That these bodies are meant to move. Like God gave them muscles. Uh, we are not supposed to be hooked up to the matrix and we are not optimally healthy mentally, physically, uh, in our whole person when our lives become uh, increasingly sedentary. And God made us to move. And so that was an important lesson for me to learn that I, I need to have the, the amount, even though I'm an editor and I'm supposed to be in front of a screen all day and I'm editing these words on a screen, uh, this human body is made to move. This brain is not maximally healthy if the body's not moving enough to pump my blood with a certain vigorousness that the right hormones and nutrients get across the blood-brain barrier for, for optimal health. You need, you need movement. On, on a, in a typical sense to, to be healthy. And so uh, the use of caffeine very much relates to knowing ourselves, mm. knowing our bodies, knowing the kind of sleep we need, knowing the kind of movement and exercise and health, uh, various health concerns. And, and the use of caffeine, and we'll talk later about sugar, perhaps, uh, would be two of those things. I like how you talked about the check for me personally, just to take some time off, maybe every quarter of the year or so I take about a week off of any sort of tea or coffee or anything like that. So what, what kind of role can like perhaps a fast do for us to check uh, where we're at with those things? What would you recommend or talk to when it comes to fasting from caffeine or something? I think of the apostle Paul's statement when he says, I will not be mastered by anything. And uh, that's, that would not just be related to illegal drugs or legal drugs or alcohol. But I, I, think, I think caffeine would be included there. Mm-hmm. I mean, caffeine's a drug, right? <laughs> just a legal one, a legal drug. And uh, I, I don't want to be mastered by caffeine. Uh, I, I, I don't want to be so dependent on it uh, that, th- that I'm running up a huge Starbucks uh, you know, account, right. Or, uh, that it's, you know, I've got a monthly budget for Starbucks or caribou because my caffeine habit is, is, is so significant. That's funny. Uh, you said that. <laughs> if you don't mind me interrupting, I'm yeah. getting married in January and, uh, my future wife and I will be on some sort of budget. And I was like looking at like different loan sorts of things with, we're both going to be in school and just different, like I was making a budget and I was like, well, maybe like for going to coffee shops, we should like put in like $40 uh, per month. So it's funny you said that. Um, well, you know, maybe you consider it part of your investment in, in I, your wife. That was my argument. I actually argued it was an investment in academic success because I study and focus very well in those environments. But it, it, it is one thing. I mean, I, this is maybe one reason we do that. Uh, we do Costco coffee in our home is uh, I, I think it's pennies a day that I'm spending on my coffee mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, and then there's another thing, the coffee gets much more expensive when you start adding the sugar and fat to it as well. So mm-hmm. it, 
<laughs> the uh, the black cup of coffee is is much more affordable. But that'd be one thing to consider is you know how much is a caffeine habit? How much is your orienting on caffeine beginning to drive the ship? Because caffeine doesn't only have an alert an effect of making you more alert. It, there's also a, a mild sense of euphoria. Uh, there's a there's a good positive feeling, a hopefulness that a lot of people talk to uh, with with their cup of coffee. And as Christians, if if that little hope boost of coffee serves real hope in Jesus in the gospel, uh, great. I'll, I'll take the help. You know, I'll take I'll take the service. But if it begins to replace that in your own soul. In your own faith, if you're thinking, what I really need in the morning is a cup of coffee, rather than what I really need in the morning is the voice of the living God. You know, man shall not live by bread alone or coffee alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So I want to ask those questions again and again about my soul. It's about soul health. I don't want uh, any good created thing in this world to get a foothold and in me and start to produce uh, unhealthiness, callousness, lethargy spiritually. And so again and again, I want to ask the question, is it serving the most important thing or is it beginning to eclipse what I'm really looking for, hope, alertness when I come to God? That's great. And uh, I know you, we both kind of referenced your other article about sugar a little bit. So just to talk about that uh, briefly, to begin the article, you kind of talk about two realities that I really like to think about, which is God made our bodies to handle sugar, handle glucose, and to use it. So to use it for energy and the body utilizes that sort of chemical energy. But then also it was crazy to read the numbers you put, um, how much in the West we consume, like how much each person on average consumes uh, sugar per year. So can you just kind of introduce this topic? Is this different than caffeine or is it the same? And uh, you also talk about these references to honey in the Bible. So uh, where do you kind of see sugar in the Bible and how this conversation gets started? Yeah, there's there's a similarity in these two conversations. Talk about caffeine and sugar. Um, these are two things. These are These are made by God. Humans did not develop these ideas, they can be made artificially or whatever, but, but they are natural to the creation. They're from God. Uh, and I, I don't, in, in a general sense, there may be particular health conditions where someone needs to totally avoid, uh, one or the other. Um, but in general, I think God made it that, uh, our systems are helped or are ready for these. We're ready as humans to consume these now in, in very different ways. Don't, don't make them into total parallel. However, uh, an interesting text that we might want to look to related to uh, related to sugar, and, and this is where honey comes in. Um, when I went looking in the Bible for some direction, how should how should Christians today think about sugar? You know, in, in biblical times, there we they didn't have the refined sugar, the white powder on a tablespoon they could add to to stuff here and there, but they very much had a powerful sweet substance called honey. And there's a lot that the Bible has to say about honey. If you go looking in the Bible for references to honey, you'll, you'll find, find a bunch of those. And so I think if we, if we take our cues from how the Bible treats honey, then we can learn in significant ways how we should think of our modern reality of sugar. And one of those is, is that that sweetness is a gift from God. God means to teach us something about himself, about the sweetness 
of his person, about the sweetness of his words by the taste of honey on the tongue. And so when God compares himself, you know, that his words are sweeter than honey, you need to know that sweetness, you know, that, that, that little quick burst of euphoria and the taste buds that comes from honey, from sugar. God means for us to know that. And uh, he says to us in the Proverbs, eat honey for honey is good, but don't eat too much of it. <laughs> it it's uh, perhaps all the more. I mean, there are, there are different deleterious effects of too much caffeine and too much sugar. And our country and civilization in particular, we are suffering big time. From the deleterious effects, uh, de- deleterious effects of too much sugar, it is astounding to look at the the average amounts of sugar that Americans consume today, as opposed to just 150 years ago, and and the roots of that go really deep. Uh, some of the harshest forms of slavery, and and places of slavery in the New World were driven by this European appetite for sugar. So when a substance like honey or sugar is as pleasant in the moment, in the mouth, like it is, it, it can drive humans to do all sorts of terrible things in their sin, including horrible slavery in the West Indies. And so that's one thing to keep in mind, that the power of these substances will drive people to use them and abuse them in some significant ways. And the Christian response isn't automatically to avoid these. It might be for some, that's fine. But the Christian response for many is to learn to use them in a right proportion, to use them faithfully, to use them in such a way as to know and enjoy more of God rather than have this substance begin to eclipse him in our hearts and lives. Pastorally, you said we need to discern so we're not going off the cliff in either direction. What's a question or two you might advise someone to ask themselves? Oof. I mean, I'll just talk out loud about it. I mean, this is, uh, I, I grew up in the South drinking sweet tea and, uh, okay. <laughs> oh man, it is, it's almost unconscionable the amount of sugar that goes into oh. <laughs> to good, to good sweet tea. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I think most of the sweet tea I consumed growing up probably had at least a cup and a half, if not two cups of sugar. I mean, it, it's mainly sugar water <laughs> with a little bit of tea steeped in it. And, and the sodas that we have that are uh, very recent in the history of the world that have been made possible by the refining of sugar, which is very much an re- industrial revolution type thing. Uh, and then that Americans have consumed uh, in unbelievable quantities and, and t- until some – until more recently when people are starting to awaken to some of these realities, but there, there is such a divide and it, it's controversial to talk about. So I, I know that uh, sugar lovers and sugar haters would be among those who are, who are listening to this. And, and there may be some that have, have made, you know, the avoidance of sugar into a kind of this, a modern moral principle. <laughs> and there are others who are going to, def- you know, def- defend their freedom to have as much sugar as, as they want to have and, and treat their body the way they, they would. And as a pastor, I don't 
I don't, I don't know enough about it. I don't want to pontificate on it, but I do want to ask the kind of questions that the Bible calls us to ask and, and does so explicitly through the, the reality of honey. So here's, here's Proverbs 25, 16. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. <laughs> Uh, and, and it is very easy today on the one hand to fall out on the side of, uh, I found honey. I'm not going to have it. Right. Um, but the proverb says, if you found it, eat it, enjoy it. It's from God. It's a good gift. Eat only enough for you. And on the other hand, there's this sense of, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about the lust for encore that we have this, this sinful itch for overindulgence where I find something good and I don't have the self-control to stop myself from overdoing that good thing. Encore, 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 encore. And uh, one encore. Okay. Encore. And the encore is made for one encore, you know, bring the actors back out one more number, bring the singers out one more number encore, but then it's over, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and we have such a propensity for overindulgence now because sugar has become so uh, available and because our palates have become adjusted to how much sugar, which is just ramped up, ramped up, ramped up over the years is interesting. Uh, when I first started working for John Piper, I was surprised that uh, how he avoided sugar. <laughs> Sometimes the guys in the seminary, uh, they will ask like, what, what's the secrets to Piper? You know, uh, what are some of Piper's secrets or whatever? I said, well, you know, there's many of them, but, uh, two very interesting secrets, uh, that most people don't know about with John Piper in terms of bodily health is for years, he's jogged three, three times a week, half an hour. So the, the even as much as he's a studier, thinker, writer, spends in front of his computer, he's had this pattern of Vigorous exercise for half an hour, three times a week for decades. And he does his, what does he call it? Jogging evangelism or something? <laughs> he does do that as well. I think carries some tracks with him and uh, sometimes talk to people as, as he's jogging. But another thing is John doesn't drink sugar, which wow. is a fantastic idea. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could go back in my life and uh and live that principle out from from at least college time it, it, it's a it's a newer thing now for me I, i've learned as i've gotten older that it's a real it can be a really good idea to avoid a habit of drinking sugar and i, I as much as possible I, I try to avoid that now though i don't live by that in a strict sense but, but i remember one time we were at a ligonier conference and john was speaking and uh but he asked, I think he was maybe there was a long line of people coming up to him. He had just preached. His palate was uh, was dry. And he asked if I'd grab him a drink. And the first thing I saw, I just saw like a pitcher of lemonade. I filled it up and uh, I, I brought him this glass of lemonade and he took a sip and uh, he's like, oh, like his face just puckered <laughs> up. And uh, and then I realized, oh, no, I just gave him a drink of sugar. And I don't think he had had any sugar to drink in years. Wow. And so he wasn't accustomed to just the modern palate of sugar. And it, w- it was painful. It is almost painful to him how, how sugary this drink was, that he just wasn't used to that. 
And so that, that really stuck out in my mind. And uh, I hope that that, that, would, that would more be the case for me, that when I have something where the sugar is just through the roof, it'd be painful because I wouldn't be so accustomed to having, uh, to having that much sugar in my drinks. <laughs> That's super good. I love the story. Uh, before I ask you this question that we conclude with to ask every guest, I just want to quote this, not as a question, but given our earlier conversation, you say in the article, Professor Slughorn's warning to his Hogwarts students about liquid luck potion might might just as well be applied to sugar. Too much of a good thing, you know, highly toxic in large quantities, but when taken sparingly and very occasionally. And I know in the book he talks about how he once had a great a great day or two when he consumed the potion. So I just loved the reference. But the question that uh, we always ask a guest is, in the last three to six months, pretty recently for you, who's a Christian or a thinker, pastor, writer, somebody who's been very influential on you? Hmm. Let me think about that. Thinker, writer, Christian. So I have uh, I have just started uh, working toward a possible PhD dissertation on Christology. Uh, very early stages of that. So this summer I was working on putting together a proposal, and that's in the it's in the application process right now. So I've been reading some fresh sources. I have always loved Christology. Had a particular interest in that. Um, maybe 20 years, almost 20 years ago, I read uh, The Person of Christ by Donald McLeod. And I just love that Christology and, and was really blessed by it. Uh, recently, I have been trying to catch up <laughs> on the Christology of the last 15 years. <laughs> well, there's only and, been a couple big debates, so. And uh, so I have been reading, among other things, Maximus the Confessor. Okay. From the seventh century, uh, Maximus the Confessor was t- taught about the two wills of Christ: that he has a fully divine will as God and a fully human will. He's fully human, fully human mind, body, emotions, and fully human will. And this was controversial, in particular, in the seventh century. And the sixth ecumenical council in 680 and 681 made a ruling on the two wills of Christ. It's called Diotheletism two wills in Christ, as opposed to the view of monothelitism, the, the one will in Christ. So I've been reading Maximus the Confessor, and it, 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 it's amazing to, to see the care, the complexity, the nuance of this monk writing in the seventh century. I think there's been some rediscovery in the last generation of Maximus. So I would, I'd commend Maximus to you. And one effect of Maximus is to realize against you know the kind of thing that C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Love it. Mm-hmm. I love the the notion, not chronological snobbery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the 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 story of progress. I don't know if this is is from Hegel. What it is, it's maybe it shows how much you know, I went to public high school or whatever. But the whole backdrop of progress, this myth of progress. That with every generation, we're smarter and better. Sure, our technology is better, but I don't think that means that we're smarter or that we're better, or that we're not standing on the shoulders of giants. And so to go back and read, not just to go back and read Puritans, God bless them, but to go all the way back to the 7th century and the kind of people that modern people assume are stupid and to read them and see how men like that can blow us out of the water when all we do is read and tweet little tiny statements. I mean, we're becoming 
really becoming dumbed down with the little snippets that we can engage. And so to read somebody, to, to breathe the fresh air from over a thousand years ago of people who weren't distracted by television and social media is very refreshing. And I would commend it to anybody. I haven't read it, but is is uh, right before we conclude. Is Maximus the one who wrote the? I think it's in the popular patristics, the cosmic mystery of Jesus Christ. Is that Maximus? Cosmic mystery. It might be. That might be Maximus. Yeah. Okay. Well, if it is, I'll link it in the show notes. But thanks okay. so much. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, thank you, David, so much for coming on. I uh, we had a great time talking, and uh, I'm glad to hear Harry Potter's moving up on the list. And thank you for just giving our listeners a little theology, a little Bible, or a lot of Bible behind how we can approach caffeine and sugar. So thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Good to talk to you.